Uh, Our text this morning um, is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Um, Our brother Greg Boonstra uh, will be reading that for us, uh, and we thank you for doing that, Greg. Do you know what page that is? Page 816. Page 816, I apologize. Yes, if you uh, are using one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you. Sorry, I forgot to look it up. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Page 816, if you're using one of those Bibles in the seats in front of you. Chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. (laughs) All right. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. God, we thank you for this word, um, again, for your preservation of it um, and for uh, your communication to us through it and um, the, the fact that uh, we know uh, who you are as our Father through the Son, Jesus, um, and we know who Christ is um, through, through the word um, that you have preserved for us. And so we thank you uh, greatly for your word, and uh, we rejoice in it today. In your name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, I, I think it was uh, about four years ago, uh, there was a, a lady uh, who worshiped with us um, who for a couple weeks uh, prayed for rain. And uh, it, was, it was during another very much of a drought season, um, and she prayed for rain, and, uh, and we got rain. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to Brother Brian here, and we were talking about the drought, and uh, I think we actually prayed for rain together that day. And so it's been raining, and uh, prayer works, so... Um, that's totally has nothing to do with the text today, uh, but but uh, just wanted to uh, uh, just point out that prayer prayer works, um, and we see that Jesus in Matthew has given us um, an example in prayer. Um, he has given us the model prayer and the Lord's prayer uh, that is found in Matthew chapter six, um, and then today we see Jesus uh, giving us an example in prayer as he prays to his Father. Um, so that's a, a really, really beautiful thing that happens. And so what, what has happened throughout Matthew chapter 11 up to this point, um, this is a text today uh, that we are all familiar with. Could we agree? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Does that, does, does that uh, ring a bell with anyone? Um, and so it's a very familiar text. Uh, what, what has been very beneficial for us, I think, um, is to, to understand this in the backdrop of what has happened in Matthew chapter 11, and as we talked about last week, really the, the scope of the whole book of Matthew. Um, and so Jesus has dealt in Matthew chapter 11 extensively with both doubt and unbelief um, through, through this chapter. He has said some, uh, if, 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 if we could agree here, I think Jesus has said some deeply comforting things, but also some deeply difficult things, right? Um, he has comforted us in, in what most of us probably um, are not unfamiliar with in doubt. 
Um, I, I don't think I'm alone um, in that there have been seasons of, of great doubt in my life. Um, if, if God is real, then why? Or maybe more common, if God truly cares um, or if he's really aware. I don't know that I've ever flat out denied the existence of God, um, though, though that may be an, an area of doubt for some. Uh, but, but what is most often the case for me is I doubt God's care for me. I doubt his awareness of me. You have that great text in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, uh, where it says that the, the, the people of God uh, lifted up a, a cry from their, enslave, in, in their enslavement. Um, and in, in that text, it said that God heard them, he saw them, um, he knew about them, and that he responded to them. And there have been times in my life where I have wondered if God really knows, if he really sees, um, if, he really, uh, if, he, if he really cares. And so there have been seasons of doubt in my life. And so um, in Matthew chapter 11, we have some great and comforting words from Jesus in the midst of John the Baptist who's doubting. Uh, but, 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 uh, but if you know Jesus, uh, you know that Jesus can say some deeply comforting things and some deeply uh, difficult things, right? Uh, because in the very next section of Scripture, he gives some woes um, to those who, uh, who uh, remain in their unrepentance, remain in their unbelief of Christ as the Messiah, um, and, he, and he tells these people some, some very difficult things. But what we have heard so far, um, for, for those of us who are believers, those of us who have faith in Christ, um, is that in our times of doubt, we are not abandoned. Uh, that, that God is with us, that we have a, that we have a great comfort in our Savior. Um, and that is a, a wonderful thing. Um, Jesus himself, in response to both of these postures, whether it's in doubt um, or, it, or to harden disbelief, um, in response, Jesus does something really good for us that grounds us. Here's something that is true um, about our culture and our time. Um, we've, we've spoken, ho- hopefully charitably, about the doubt that we all face. I, I would hope that what you've heard from me is a charitable and gracious acknowledgement that doubt um, exists within us at times. Uh, But what our culture wants to do is it wants to drive us deeper and deeper and deeper into despair as we doubt. Um, What Jesus does in uh, with the doubt of those here is he drives them deeper and deeper and deeper into confidence of him being a merciful and holy savior. He points them back to the scriptures. Um, Our culture with our doubt points us back to TikTok, right? Um, And what Jesus does is he points it back to the eternal word of God. He points us not only there, but to himself, Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, those of you who may be in seasons of doubt or may have doubt ahead of you or you've been through doubt, may we rest confidently in the foundation um, that in our doubt, Jesus points us back to the only solid source um, of, 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 uh, of, of what exists. And so um, this is what Jesus does. He gives us, it really is, I think, a formula. Like, like some of you like lists, right? How many of you are list people? I'm not a, I am not a list people, okay? Um, some of you are list people. Uh, my wife is more of a list people. I am not a list people. Um, and, and so some of you like, uh, like a lot of organization. 
I think Jesus actually gives us a little bit of a formula. Now, is, is, he, is he giving us like, like all of the answers to every question we ever have? Not, not here. Um, but, but I think he gives us a little bit of a formula for, for what to, how to approach doubt. And namely, and what he does is he says something about John the Baptist. We talked about this last week. He says something about John the Baptist in this text, that, that John was the greatest man ever born. And then he says this thing um, that, however, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Um, and so what he does with, with John the Baptist is that he claims what he does about John the Baptist, and really what he's doing in that is Jesus is making a claim about himself. John's greatness is tied up not in himself, but John's greatness is in his association with the Savior. John's greatness is in his association with, with Christ. And Christ is saying something about Christ in saying something about John the Baptist, namely that John the Baptist is pointing to me. That that principle is true in a lot of areas. The scriptures, hey, uh, those obscure passages in Leviticus and Numbers that maybe you just got through in your year-long reading plan, those passages are about Christ. They attest to who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished and what Christ obeyed and what he submitted to. And so even in John the Baptist, John the Baptist's greatness was not in his greatness in and of himself, but in the fact that he was to be used as an instrument of God to usher in the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's why John the Baptist was who he was. And um, even in his words about the cities who refused to believe in 20 through 24, uh, Jesus claims himself as the one who will judge unrighteousness. He is the judge. He is the merciful one, but he is also the ultimate judge. He can pronounce woes upon people because he is not just a mouthpiece of God. He is God, and Christ himself is the, the great judge. And so here we find ourselves in this text. As we have come to this text today, um, I, I hope that we have a really good foundation of what has happened. Um, you've got those who are in unbelief. You've got those who are in somewhat discouragement because of doubt. And Jesus does hear what he does, and it is marvelous. It is wonderfully comforting. And so the first thing that we see in this text um, is Christ's interaction with the Father. Uh, we see Christ's interaction with the Father. Let's look at that. Verses uh, 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus interacts with the Father in this really intimate way. Real quick, uh, real, we, we probably shouldn't get off on this, but uh, you've got a little bit of a glimpse into the Trinity here. Um, you've got a, you, we, we, we are a tr- Trinitarian people, amen? We are not a Unitarian people, we are a Trinitarian people, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Father is God, uh, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the, all those things, but they're all God. Father, Son, Spirit. And so we see a glimpse of that here, that you've got uh, two beings who are distinct, uh, but who are, in essence, together deity. Christ, who is God, and the Father, who is God, and there is 
Trini- there is a glimpse of this Trinitarian interaction that we see among the Father and the Son. And J- Jesus interacts with the Father in a way that claims and supports that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Jesus refers to the Father as Father, that, that, that you are my Father. This is something that is, it, it's, it's really hard for me to, to separate this from um, some of the, 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 the uh, the opportunities that God has opened up in our community to interact with people from different cultures and different religions. But, but the, the, the truth that Jesus is the Son of God is not something accepted and received by other major religions. Um, it is something that uh, I've, I've had conversations with people that say, you know what, I believe a whole lot of things, but I just cannot believe that God has a son. I cannot believe that, and, and I can't believe that Jesus is that son. And I, I can't believe that a, a holy God would have a son. These are, these are real holdups and real hurdles and real boundaries to some who are, um, who are considering faith in, in Christ. But what Jesus says here is that the only true knowledge of God comes through knowledge and trust in Christ. That the only way to know who God is is to know Christ, and there is no other way. Um, I, I, I had listened to this really interesting podcast. Y- y- y'all are going to have to bear with me. Uh, eventually, I will learn what not to say and what to say from here, so I'm just going to say this, okay? I, I'm, I'm better than where I was, okay? Um, I, I listened to this really interesting podcast this week with, uh, with, with a guy named Rain Wilson. Um, if you know who Rain Wilson is, uh, he is, a, he is a, a major star in the TV series The Office, um, and this guy is an incredibly well-spoken guy. Um, and I can't even remember the name of this religion that he ascribes to, Baha'i. Um, and, and, and so he, he, he ascribes to this particular religion. And it's so interesting to hear him discuss this religion and navigate this religion. And, it, and it's, a, it's a, a troubling picture, to be honest with you, um, about someone who refuses to believe in the exclusivity of Christ, that the only way to know Christ, the only way to know God is through Christ. Um, in fact, some of the context of this, yeah, I, I had a little bit of a hard time even just putting together thoughts for this sermon because some of the some of the the, the way that we need to understand this is that Jesus is responding to those who are in unbelief about who He is. But here's the thing they are fully convinced that they have a very close relationship with Yahweh. These are, these are Jewish people who are deeply convinced that they are, they are with God, that they are on his side. And what Jesus says here is, without belief in me, you couldn't be farther from him. Without belief in me, you could be no farther from truly knowing God. I mean, that is a... That is a a very deep claim. And I, th- those of you who've engaged with some of our neighbors in this area know that, hey, when it comes to, when it comes to um, all sorts of disciplines, that man, you, you think I'm not that disciplined in my, in my devotion to God. But what Jesus says here is that you, you may think that you are very close to God, but without knowledge of Christ, Apart from faith in Christ, you do not know God. You do not know him. And that's, that's what this text is saying, that there is 
no other way, and there are no other ways. We, we very humbly but very confidently ascribe to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He truly is the only way. He is the truth and the life. There is no, not only is Jesus the only way to know God, but apart from Christ, we don't know what truth is. We don't know what life is. Any true thing that we may say comes only because Christ reveals truth to us. And we, we see that we see that here. Jesus then also give, here gives thanks and glory to the Father for his grace in revealing Jesus as the Son to little children rather than to the wise and the understanding. And so not only do you have Jesus making this claim, and, and from everything I can see, I don't know about what your, what your version of the Bible says, verse 25 says, at that time Jesus declared. I, I, would, I would venture to assume, at least I think that it's probably safest to assume that this prayer that he's praying can be heard by people around him. I don't know what your text says. Maybe your text says something different and we could kind of dive into that, but I'm, but I'm fairly certain here that the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father is, is something that those around him are able to, to hear. Uh, there are other times where it talks about Jesus pulling away from the crowds and praying or going to a desolate place. Uh, in this text, we don't have that. We have that Jesus just... Uh, pronounces these woes upon these unrepentant cities and then there declares what he declares to the Father. And so Jesus declares um, to the Father in prayer, potentially vocally to those around him, that there is no way to know God except through the Son. And then what Jesus does is he thanks God for that. And so we, we see that, um, and, and Jesus, through Paul, expands on this in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 26. Let's go there. It'll just give us a little, bit, a, a little bit more of a grasp on what's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. What does Jesus mean here by, um, what, is, what is it that Jesus means here uh, by, by, the, by the fact that you have revealed or you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. Um, Jesus, through, through Paul, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... Check this out. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. <laughs> A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise." God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low 
and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And as difficult as it may be for us to come to terms with, Jesus says to the Father, for such was your gracious will. And so church family, I just ask you this question. Do you recognize what Jesus declares here? Do you recognize and acknowledge your own salvation as a gracious gift from a loving Father? Your salvation is a gracious gift from God. There is, there is, there is no level of intellectual prowess um, or intellectual achievement that you came upon that brought you to a saving faith in God, but rather the Spirit of God in his infinite grace towards you, a sinner. And any intellect, anything that you can embrace or accept as truth or reality is given to you by a holy God. This, that's why, I think that's why Paul says at the end of that section, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Man, I, I, know, I know people who, who, who are very proud of their um, intellectual and, uh, you know, their, their intellectual achievements. And, and, the, and the reality is, is that if we have something to boast about, we boast in God. Because God has given ultimately salvation, and God gives any kind of understanding that you have about anything to you. It all comes to you from him through his grace. I love that passage of scripture. And so church family, we, we acknowledge, as, as Jesus acknowledges here, um, that, our, that our belief, that our understanding of who Christ is, is, is given to us as a gracious gift by a merciful God. And that is a glorious truth. So upon giving this great basis on which our hearts respond to the truth of the gospel message, Jesus then gives an invitation to the weary and the heavy laden. And that's what we see next in verses 28 through 30, Christ's invitation to the weary. So we see first Christ's um, interaction with the Father. Um, and then secondly, we see Christ's invitation to the weary in verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From, so, from what, so from what precedes this text, that means what came before, and then what proceeds from this text, that which comes after, in really the whole gospel of Matthew, we see that there was this unbearable burden placed upon people by the heaping up of additional requirements by the religious leaders. God gave his law to his people, and then what the religious leaders came in and did is they came and they added things onto that to, to, to just, to just kind of get that extra level of purification, but also that extra level of damnation, honestly, on themselves. And, and so, in fact, Jesus himself says about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 24, check out this, this juxtaposition here 
in, in Christ and in these religious leaders. Matthew 23, 4 says about the scribes and the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And so Jesus, Jesus um, really compares himself, contrasts himself with these religious leaders. And what Jesus is doing here is he is, here, here's what Jesus, this is, this is, we have to understand this. Jesus is not like taking off all obedience, right? That's, that's, not, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's doing here. He's, he is saying what he's saying in contrast to the unbearable weight that the Pharisees have placed on himself. And so what Jesus is doing here essentially is inviting them to come under a new yoke. His teaching, when you see the word yoke, don't think like, yo, I'm yoked. You know, like you went to the gym yesterday. Um, I, I definitely didn't. But um, when you see the word yoke, Jesus is referring to his teaching, what, what, he, what he's saying. He's, when he talks about yoke in other places, he's talking about the, the teaching of the Pharisees. It's too heavy for them to bear, too heavy for them to carry. And so Jesus is inviting people to come under a new yoke, not a life without commands from Jesus, but a teaching and a way of life that is not burdensome. Can I just tell you, there are still commands from Christ to us as his children, as his followers. In fact, so much that is the case that 1 John 5, 3 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That's a beautiful verse. That, that, that applies to so many areas of life, church family. And again, in a, in a time, and I'm not, I don't wanna constantly just like push against, push against the culture because it's actually part of, a danger that we're in as well. So many times we, we think and we, we, we deceive ourselves and we're deceived by the great deceiver that, hey, those things that God's calling you to do, you know, that's just, that's just too heavy. Can you, can, how about you just be yourself? I mean, isn't that the lie of the serpent in the garden? Did, did, God, did God really say this? And, and what the... What, what, the, what the, the serpent, in a way, achieved in Adam and Eve was, was caused them to believe that, that God was their enemy, that God was the one who was their enemy, that he was the one who was robbing them of pleasures and joy. And in that lie, it was Satan who was the deceiver. It was him who who uh, caused doubt in God's word, in God's promise, in God's character. And John clears that up in his first letter by saying, the commands of God, they are not burdensome. Hey, I, I, would, I would venture to say that if the commands of God are burdensome, there may be a lot of different reasons. But let me just say one that's most common for me, that, that when I understand God's commands as burdensome, it most often has to... It is most often the result of me believing that I have to do things in order for him to love me, that I forget the gospel, <laughs> that I forget the, the truth and the, 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 the essence of the gospel, that I am not saved by, by what I do 
or who I am, but I am saved through faith in Christ and what he has done for me. And when the commands of God become burdensome, it's because I am believing that if I don't obey this, God's going to stop loving me. And that's not the gospel. That is antithetical to the gospel message. As our, as our man, what a, what a, what a, uh, what an opportunity to share a quote from, I don't even have this in my notes, but from the late Tim Keller who passed away this week. That the, the, the simple message of the gospel is that, is that you are far more sinful than you could ever imagine, but that you are far more loved than you could ever believe. That's just a, a beautiful application of the reality of the gospel in our life. That you are you are much more desperately sinful than you could fathom, but so much more deeply loved than you could ever imagine. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And in that, we see, we see his heart. This is, this is fascinating. Look what, look what he says. Take my, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's, there's something about the teaching of Jesus here. Jesus' teaching is going to be better. It's going to more, be more freeing. It's going to be more life-giving. It's going to be not burdensome, as 1 John will say. But he, but he attaches what he says here to, to an invitation to his disciples to learn from him. And so there, what we see here, what I love in verse 29, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There, there are not an abundance of instances in the gospel where Jesus, in the gospels, where Jesus clearly says, this is my heart. If, if, you, search, if you search through here, I, I, I can't remember, I think there might be one other place where he, where, he, where he references his heart. But there's not a whole lot of instances where Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what my heart is. And in this text, Jesus does just that. He, he says, the core of who I am, the core of who I am as the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who you have waited for, is that I am gentle and lowly in heart. Man, what a, what a Savior, right? He is not harsh. He is, he is not on a fault-finding mission, church family. You ever feel like that? Man, like if Jesus only knew if Jesus only, well, okay, first of all, he does. <laughs> but, but secondly, yeah, if he only knew. He knew when he went to the cross. He knew how dark and desperate your, your heart was, is, and he went to the cross. But this is one of those times that Jesus reveals to us his heart. And I, I would say this also is what makes him trustworthy. Can I just tell you that the heart of those other idols that you follow are not gentle and lowly? That the heart of those other idols that you follow, as one of my friends puts it, will take you out into the desert and leave you there. And if you've ever followed one of those idols out to the desert, you know that's exactly what they'll do. They will abandon you there in that desert. So this actually makes Jesus profoundly and infinitely trustworthy. Okay, Jesus, if you truly are 
gentle and lowly in heart, I can trust you with all that I am. I can trust you with, with everything. We're very familiar with, with Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. We, we, uh, we read that as a call to worship this morning, and I, I really want to encourage you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 55, um, in those Bibles in front of you, um, it's, in, it's on page uh, 615. We're very familiar with, uh, with, with verses 8 and 9, and I want to read those. And uh, you're going to hear me say these next few lines, and you're going to say, you've said that a million times, and that's exactly right. We'll say this more. In fact, it's not even original. I'll give you the source for it in just a little bit. But we're very, we're very familiar with these two verses that say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We love that passage of Scripture. We really do. We, act, we actually do. Uh, but we, we also don't understand what it's really what's in, it, it's in response to from the voice of God. So we, we kind of tag this on when we just talk about like the, the, the greatness or the magnitude of God, which is he great and, and magnificent? Yes. It's not either or. So is, is God uh, magnificent or is he merciful? There you go. That's good. That's good. We're on the right track. Both. So, so this, these verses, uh, they, they certainly apply to the greatness and the magnificence and the holiness of God. And that in every way, in every way, he's, he's, his thoughts are higher than ours and his ways are better than ours. But what we tend to not understand is that the verses that come before this in verses six and seven, which are wonderful. Look what, look what this says. He's talking to a, to a, uh, to a stiff-necked people. And this is what he says in six and seven. And then we're going to read through nine. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your ways. This was a profoundly wicked people who even the most kind person ought not have mercy upon. And what God is saying is that if you will seek the Lord and you will call upon him and you will forsake his and he will forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and he will return to the Lord so that the Lord may have compassion on him. That's the kind of man, we're not talking about God here, the kind of man that that's describing is the kind of man that does not deserve mercy, right? But guess what? God's ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And his mercy is greater than the mercy you would be willing to show. And, Jesus, and, and God here says that, that if these things happen, I, I will have mercy. I, I would say that in this text, we see that God wants to have mercy. He stands ready as a merciful and gracious Savior. And so here's, here's the deal. We don't, we don't want to make any unhelpful or inaccurate distinctions about the character of God and the heart of God. So remember, he is both magnificent and merciful. And it would be unhelpful to say either or. 
But in God's seriousness towards sin and brokenness, what, and Jesus echoes this in Matthew 11, in God's great seriousness against our sin, God's heart stands ready to forgive and to welcome. It's, it stands ready. There is, as, as one theologian put it, there is more grace in Christ than sin in you. And he is, stands ever ready to forgive. What is the heart of Christ towards sinners and sufferers? What Jesus says is that he is gentle and lowly. He is merciful. And then the promise of Christ, we, we, can, we can take this to the bank. The, the promise is simply this. You will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Hey, just as in the moments of my, my greatest self-righteousness and thinking that what, what I do is uh, what God's love is based upon, um, just, just, as, just as I think that when I think that the commands of God are burdensome, so it is the case that when I am at the least restful in God is when I don't trust his ways. When I don't trust his ways, you will find rest for your souls. That is a beautiful invitation, a beautiful promise, and a beautiful picture of Christ is. And let me just tell you this, church, let's, let's go back to what we said at the very beginning. We don't know God apart from knowing Christ. And Christ, as the word says, is the exact representation of who God is. Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father are in no way at odds with one another. It's not like Jesus came in and, you know, redefined who God was. No, Jesus revealed who God was, who God is. And we know God through knowledge of the Son. So I, 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 uh, I kind of messed up because earlier I, I, gave a, I gave a Tim Keller quote, but I actually had in my notes one to close us today. And it just, it just says this, the great basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. That is a beautiful reality, Christian child of God, that, that God is unshakably set on you as his child. And there's nothing that you can do to, to remove yourself from his loving and gracious hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great word. Um, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and um, what your word says about Jesus, that uh, there is, there is no, no, no way of knowing uh, the Father um, apart from knowing Christ. And so we just ask, Lord, this morning that uh, you would help us to see Jesus, um, as, as, as your word says, as your son says, that um, it, is, it is by your grace um, that we know Christ. And so, Lord, we, we ask for, for, for more grace even in, in this time to, 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 to know Jesus more deeply, um, to, to know Christ in a, in a more um, intimate way. We thank you that, um, Lord, even though we may, may waver and and falter and fall that, that um, Christ never loses grip of us. Uh, but, but Lord, we do ask that by your word, um, through you, by your spirit, that we would, we would know Jesus in a more deep way as we follow you. Uh, we, we love you, Father. We thank you for your great grace towards us. 
Uh, we thank you for uh, the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that, that though we were sinners, um, that, that through faith in your son, we have been saved. And we praise you for that. In your name, amen.